Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. Last week, we talked about how Russia's invasion of Ukraine is affecting the U.S. and with that, New Mexico. UNM economic professor Riley White told us about how we should be prepared to see price changes in a lot of places, as Russia is, of course, a major source for raw materials like palladium and also oil. One of the most noticeable changes so far has obviously been the surging price of gas, which in New Mexico is now averaging a price of over $4 a gallon. But there's also a humanitarian crisis with more than and 2 million people fleeing a war-torn country over the past few weeks since Russia's invasion of Ukraine. You've probably seen some of the heart-wrenching pictures and heard news reports of families being torn apart, mothers, grandmothers, and children trying to get to safety, and in many cases, young men and fathers staying behind to defend Ukraine. The United States at large has made it clear it won't get involved militarily in the war, but that doesn't mean that there aren't Americans who are going over to offer help help. Some Americans with combat experience are volunteering in Ukraine's military. Food, water, and medical aid is also needed, though, and others, including New Mexicans, have headed into the war zone to help refugees escaping the conflict. On the line with us all the way from Poland today, who just left Ukraine, is University of New Mexico physician Matthew Wilkes. He's the chief medical officer and the chief quality officer from Sandoval Regional Medical Center in Rio Rancho. Dr. Wilkes has been in Ukraine established aid stations that are all manned by volunteer health providers. Dr. Wilkes, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you very much for having me. So first, I wanted to ask you, when did you decide that you're making the trip to Ukraine and how difficult was it to just get there? So I made the decision very quickly after seeing news reports uh, because there was clearly a humanitarian crisis going on um, in Eastern Europe. And I'm a member of an organization called Team Rubicon, which is an international disaster relief organization. And within a day or two of the war starting, Team Rubicon sent out a request for people who would have availability. And I didn't hesitate as soon as I got the email to say, yes, I'd like to be involved. How big is Team Rubicon? Team Rubicon is a large organization that started 12 years ago. Um, and it's entirely volunteer, and it has grown to over 150,000 volunteers. But a much smaller uh, group of the volunteers are involved in the international operation. Most of Team Rubicon's volunteers um, do domestic uh, operations. My involvement usually with Team Rubicon is as a physician and a provider taking care of patients. But with this occurring so quickly, I joined their advanced team to set up the operations for the team that would later come in. And so this was a different role for me. And um, I think the real reason that I chose to take on this role is because I could see that there was such an immediate need that I wanted to be able to pave the way for our team to get there quickly. The team that is currently in Ukraine is over 25 people. Um, and typically we send 13 to 15 at a time. So we sent a very large response initially, and we expect to be there for um, two to three months. And the teams will ro- rotate out. So if you can 
tell us a little bit more about your medical background? I would be curious to know a little bit more about exactly kind of what were the things that you've done out there? Because I know you obviously have an administrative skill set, but that doesn't also mean that you don't have, as you mentioned, a sort of medical background of hands-on getting involved in helping people. So what was it exactly that you were doing out there? I've been an emergency medicine physician for about 25 years now. And one of the things that is kind of key to emergency medicine uh, is treating all comers and treating underserved populations. And I saw my skill set in that uh, meshing very well with this particular mission because, you know, it wasn't clear to begin with what uh, medical needs would um, be there. And so having somebody like myself with a background, being able to take care of people from birth uh, through old age, all different medical conditions, and also my prior experience with Team Rubicon seemed like a, a good uh, skill set to have to go into this really unknown arena. And so, you know, on a day-to-day, are, are you treating patients? Have you been doing some of that work or or has it been a lot of uh, setup stuff set, telling guys, say, hey, we should put these kinds of tents here, stuff like that? My role with the team on this particular uh, deployment has been with setting things up. So I have not been treating patients um, and Our team actually just arrived in Lviv, Ukraine yesterday. So they're just starting to see patients today. But I was meeting with the uh, UN and with the World Health Organization, with local physicians, with hospital administrators, um, with uh, people to set up um, meals for our team uh, and lodging for our team. We're um, staying in a Catholic university dormitory in Lviv. And so all of that took about 10 days to two weeks to set up. So you just finished your day over there. You're seven hours ahead of us now in Poland, but I know you have been spending time in Ukraine. So it's a little after eight o'clock ish there. What was your day like and and what have you seen in the days that you've been there? So um, my days in Ukraine were often punctuated at about five o'clock in the morning by air raid sirens and having to go into the basement of the dormitory where I was staying. Um, And we would stay there typically two or three hours until uh, the all clear was sounded. And then during the day I had those um, meetings as I described. For the team now, um, they are staying at the same place that I was at the um, Ukrainian Catholic University. Uh, But they are going out to the field um, and setting up at the borders between Ukraine and Poland. And there are different border crossings and the volume of people fleeing the conflict varies from day to day. But there are long lines. When I first entered Ukraine, the line was, I would estimate, at least a mile long and uh, five or six people wide. And it would take them hours to days to get across. So the goal of Team Rubicon there is to set up a tent with um, some heaters so that people can get warm and put that right by the border. But we're also a mobile team. So we literally carry our supplies and backpacks. And the plan is to walk along the line and see if anybody's in distress and needs help. What we learned from meeting with the hospitals and the physicians there was that there was a, a large need for people with uh, mental health 
skills. So we brought additional mental health providers with us and then also kids because the people in the line are kids uh, and women. Obviously, it's one thing for us to see the news reports. We've seen the pictures of destruction of, uh, you know, families desperate to get safe. You're over there seeing it firsthand as well. But I know that Ukraine is a large country. So, you know, we may see a visual from one place. It may not be exactly what you're seeing where you're at. But I wanted to get a sense of from you. What are you feeling out there? What are you seeing out there? Yeah, that's an excellent question and a really good point because where we were set up and where I was in Lviv, which is uh, Western Ukraine, there isn't um, currently any, um, you know, hot battles. There, there's not gunfire. Um, we didn't hear any explosions, although there were some within about 20 miles of where we were. Um, but what I did see on a regular basis while I was there was the um, enormous number of refugees that were moving and the anguish and the exhaustion on their faces. And, you know, seeing the news reports gives you some sense of it, but it's completely different when you're there and you actually see somebody and you look into their eyes and you see a, a person, not just an image. And it was um, quite emotional actually seeing such enormous uh, amount of uh, people moving. We know Russia is telling its people that this is just a special military operation, rebranding this invasion with misinformation about what is actually happening in Ukraine and why it's happening. What do you want people to know about what's happening over there? Yeah, I think that it's really important to understand a couple of things, um, one of which is that this is affecting an enormous amount of people. The UN is estimating over 3 million people displaced already. Um, and this is destroying lives. Obviously people are being killed, um, but even in the families that don't have people uh, killed, they're being displaced. They're leaving oftentimes their parents behind because a lot of the older Ukrainians don't wanna leave. Um, and then also it's women and children because the men between 18 and 60 are required to stay behind. So I want people to understand the humanitarian crisis that's going on there. Did you have any conversations with some of the people that you saw there? And maybe if you can illuminate us on, you, you mentioned the anguish that exists amongst so many of the people that are fleeing the conflict. Um, can you share with us maybe some of those experiences? Yeah, what I heard from them was just how difficult the decision was to leave. Um, and it was interesting to me that many of them, when they crossed the border into Poland, uh, did not want to leave the border area because they expected it to be a short conflict and that then they would go home. And they want to go back because they have lives. Um, they have families, they have businesses that they left, um, and that's all been uprooted. And clearly, I think it, it's not going to be short-lived. When you think about those experiences and think about your own life in New Mexico, you know, you have, I, I imagine, family, friends here in New Mexico. What did they say about you've obviously done this type of volunteer work in going to conflicts before and helping out. But were they understanding about the decision that you made to go and leave? And do you have any feelings about that knowing now sort of what you've experienced out there? Yeah. So family and friends 
um, have always been supportive of the humanitarian work that I've done. And Team Rubicon usually responds to hurricanes, earthquakes, things like that. So this this is actually a bit of a change for Team Rubicon. And so it was a, a change for my family and friends as well, seeing that I was heading into a conflict area. And so uh, people expressed more concern about my safety with this, but they understand that this is something that I think is important for me to do because I'm able to. Um, and a lot of people want to help, but they're not able to go. Dr. Wilkes, do you, do you mind if I ask you, do you have a wife? Do you have children as well? I do. Um, and my kids have been uh, very supportive, but very concerned. As a father, too, seeing these families being torn apart, it's just really hard to imagine doing that, right? Like just uprooting your whole life and going to another country that you're, you know, that you don't live in and not knowing if you can go home again, not only from a physician's standpoint, but are you like, do those things cross your mind too when you're over there? Are you in work mode and how does that impact you? Yeah. So I, I was, uh, or I am in work mode over here, but absolutely it impacts me. And, um, you know, I think about how difficult the decisions to move or stay are, you know, and many of the people that I was interacting with in Lviv uh, were the men who were left behind and they've gotten their wives and kids out of the country. And so I had discussions with them about that. And they also were saying that they wanted to, you know, be able to bring them home quickly, but I'm not sure that that's going to be possible. You've set up your team they're now heading into Ukraine where we're seeing millions of refugees, families being torn apart in distress. But what about like the physical, I mean, waiting in line with families and young children and grandmothers for hours, even days taking these trips? Um, what kind of physical toll is it taking on these people and what kind of injuries or, or are your physicians going to be treating in those lines? Yeah, so what we found is uh, it's really what you would expect. It's exhaustion, um, dehydration, and um, and cold exposure uh, because it is you know northern Europe in winter. Uh, it snowed several days while I was there, uh, and people are outside in the elements, and so it was the typical things that you would see. But you also have to remember these people have medical problems, right? And they existed before this started and they exist now and they may have left in a hurry and not taken their medications with them. Or if they're diabetic, they didn't take their glucometers. So they have no idea what their blood sugar is. So all of the chronic conditions came along with them as well. But we saw um, also a lot of the, the mental health, the anguish. Um, and that's why we brought additional people to address that. What are those folks doing, I guess, to address sort of the, the distress that these refugees are facing? You know, oftentimes what people need is just a sympathetic ear. They want to talk. They want to express their concerns. Um, and so we have people who are very good at listening and, for, and carrying on those conversations just to give people some support. One of the things that we 
heard from uh, our UNM economics professor, Riley White, was he talked about what the toll of uh, incoming refugees can be um, in such a mass size to a neighboring country. Um, Obviously, that's part of what your team's response is all about is helping out with this surge, this influx. But did you get a sense of what this may be in the long run for a country like Poland? Let me answer that two ways. First, in the short run, uh, Poland has done an incredible job of absorbing over a million people. Um, they really got their act together very quickly. And I was very impressed Uh, immediately uh, when people cross the border, they're greeted by lots of NGOs, but also the governmental organizations like the Polish Red Cross. They're given uh, hot meals. They're given groceries. There are stacks of um, donated clothing and blankets that people can pick up. And there are people standing there with signs saying, I can take four people for 90 days, hop in my car and I'll take you. Um, And so it was just incredible. Getting across the border into Poland uh, was really a great um, um, process for the people who did that. Do you think in the long run that this is going to be just one of those things that we're gonna need to be continually involved in, engaged in? Yeah. Well, and it does depend, right? It depends on when the refugees decide that they're not going back, right? If they just stay for two weeks and then go home, then it's not going to be as much of a problem. If they decide they're never going back, um, then that's um, certainly a burden on Poland, but also, you know, perhaps a benefit because people bring their skills. And if they were business people and in Poland, they can open businesses there as well. And then hopefully um, the global population will open their arms as well, like the uh, Polish people have and take people in. You know, I I hope that some people are headed to the U.S. And um, I definitely recommend if some of these displaced people end up in New Mexico, I hope that uh, New New Mexicans open their arms and uh, invite them in as well. We know that there are millions fleeing and there is a lot of, you know, unknowns and uncertainty and a lot of wreckage from this war already, but there's also a lot of helpers, right? What are sort of some of the other volunteer organizations that you've noticed? I've noticed, you know, just seeing some of the journalists I follow tagging like cooks making these massive meals in Poland for those refugees. What what sort of help are you seeing there? An enormous outpouring of people helping from all over the world. You know, I was interacting with medical teams like mine um, from Poland for sure, but from the UK, from the Netherlands, from um, uh, Israel, there are just people from all over. And like you said, they're all different groups. There are um, medical personnel, but there are cooks there are, um, construction workers who want to help, you know, build temporary shelters for people. Uh, And it's been really impressive, the amount of people who have shown up. So I understand you do plan to come back home to New Mexico soon. Is it difficult to leave? And what will you take from this experience? It is difficult to leave. And especially because I took on this different role, you know, I really want to get in there and start treating people. But I 
you know, I set the groundwork so that the team can be successful and I have to be able to hand that off and, and let them do the work. But whenever I've um, done these sorts of uh, tours with Team Rubicon, it is challenging to come home. And it is um, difficult to see a community that is not involved in this kind of strife. And you, you know, it's just in the back of your mind. Um, you, you don't think about the fact that there's this kind of conflict going on half a world away. So it, it can be challenging to come home as well. Is there anything else you wanted to tell us that perhaps we didn't ask you directly about here today? I just want to emphasize uh, what an incredible humanitarian catastrophe this is and how it's, um, it was um, just picked up by so many people so quickly uh, and the response has been overwhelming. And even though this has been very destructive for many people's lives, I think it could have been much worse if the international community and the, um, the countries bordering Ukraine hadn't responded so quickly. Well, thank you uh, for talking with us and thanks for doing the work out there uh, representing our state and doing something um, so helpful to many people as well. Yeah, we really appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate you taking the time to tell the story. thanks to Dr. Matthew Wilkes for speaking with us today. I think it's interviews like that that are so important because they're people in our community who are seeing and experiencing something firsthand because I think while we watch the news and we can see horrible images, it's it's easy to forget just how big a deal something like this is and how it does really affect a lot of people even though we may not see it next to us in our day-to-day life when we walk out the door, go to our jobs and carry on with what we do normally. Yeah. I mean, he talked about this will be in the back of his mind coming home. And I imagine for him, especially, you know, those are images that you can't forget and that we shouldn't really. There is a humanitarian crisis, a lot of heartbreaking stories coming out of Ukraine, but we certainly really appreciate hearing from some of the helpers in this situation too, and knowing there are so many folks from across the globe who are coming together to help these refugees. Yeah, and these people may just be your neighbors. They may live right next door to you here in New Mexico. Yeah. We'll have another episode for you next Tuesday. In the meantime, you can also reach out to us with any ideas or feedback. I'm Chris Doutmckee on KRQED and also on Twitter, I'm at Chris McKee TV. And I'm Gabrielle.Burkhard at KRQE.com via email and GBurkNM on Twitter. If you like the show, feel free to share it with a friend and give us a review that helps people hear about and know about our show. Also check out our website at KRQE.com slash podcasts. Thanks for listening. <laughs>